you're telling yourself, I deserve that treatment, that I'd rather receive breadcrumbs than nothing at all. Baby, you deserve the entire bakery. And the more time you spend focused on those breadcrumbs, you will lose sight or even walk right past a potential bakery who is waiting for you, just for you. Hey, I'm Regina Marie. I started this podcast to share with other survivors what has helped me heal from my untold stories about surviving my past abusive relationships. And since abuse knows no gender, age, race, or religion, allow this to become your roadmap to start healing from your abusive trauma today. You want to know it's beautiful, seeing your self-love grow right in front of your gorgeous face. And pretty soon, you'll be saying things like, but remaining loyal to you after you mistreat me is called trauma bonding. And that's not what I'm doing anymore. Welcome back to My Healing Village podcast, episode 12. Two weeks ago, we discussed the devalue phase, which was pretty difficult to comprehend with the cognitive dissonance of seeing for the first time that who our abuser or narcissist portrayed themselves to be is not who they are at all. That we were lied to and not just told a white lie to save face or to spare a small feeling over something insignificant, but we were conned into falling for someone who literally doesn't exist. Okay, so where does that take us? Well, it's at the devalue phase that our central nervous system should be screaming, strobe lights flashing and sirens blaring that something is off. Yet some of us come to expect this push-pull feeling and we oddly find it comforting and normal because that is exactly how we remember feeling from our own childhood. So rather than running from it, our inner childhood wound begins bleeding and we look to have that specific individual hand us a band-aid. Now you'll soon find out that it is a lost cause, as we all find out, and you'll just keep waiting as you continue to bleed because that's exactly what they want. Now, there's three types of this discard phase. So I want to go over each of them, and I will be using a similar example for all to just kind of portray the slight differences of each one. So the first type of discard is the cleanest of all discards. If we were to get discarded from a narcissist or abuser, this is the cleanest it's ever going to get. This is where your central nervous system, you know, being shook from the 24-7 attention and affection to once every day or every other day signals us that this was in fact a con and we are currently being devalued in this moment. And this is when we as the survivors get to discard the abuser or narcissist before we become fully trauma bonded. They've already sunk their fangs into us. They already think that they have us. If we've reached the devalue phase. That means they believe that they have just gained a supply. Yep, got them. Now they can start the devalue. That can take place after a month, two months, a year. That time frame is different, okay? But this typically happens after we've learned to recognize their playbook, their behaviors, their patterns. And rather than running to them to explain themselves or demand why they betrayed us, we walk away with our dignity, our self-respect, and our self-worth. So this is the example that I'll use for all three to demonstrate the slight but very real differences. Our abuser has taken us to an all-day spa. We feel like a million bucks, love bombing phase. And on the way to the car, they slam our hand in the car door. And now we're driving in silence all the way home as they're asking what you did wrong. 
the devalue and cognitive dissonance. And as soon as they pull in the driveway, you tell them what they just did was wrong. You get out of the car, slam that door shut. Why not? Be petty. And don't look back. They may hoover you, but you stick to your boundaries of how you deserve and expect to be treated. And you walk away. That is discard phase option number one. The second discard creates an unimaginably strong trauma bond where they discard us. This is the usual, okay? When this happens, this typically ignites our anxious attachment style and the push-pull magnetic energy begins. So with that previous example, they've taken us to that all-day spa. We feel like a million bucks. There's the love bombing. On the way to the car, they slam our hand in the car door. We're in throbbing pain. And as you're asking what you did wrong and how you can make it better, the devalue and cognitive dissonance, a covert narcissist will drive back in silence all the way home as a form of punishment. An overt narcissist will begin to have an episode and rage while driving recklessly, yelling, screaming, threatening, you being in fear of your life and having you on edge begging them to settle down. But both take the next step that as soon as they pull in the driveway, they don't say anything because they don't want to give you any sort of closure. And they want you to ruminate about what you just did because you caused it. Clearly, it's your fault. And as you're sitting there trying to understand what happened, they either covert, simply get out of the car and walk away as you're then chasing after them, push-pull, or overt, continue to use shame, guilt, and insult us. If we do walk away at this point of the disrespect given, then that's when the hoovering And the manipulation begins with the lies of the I'm sorry's and I'll change and I'll be better. And thus the cycle repeats. Now, this is the usual discard, but there is one more. The third type of discard is simply cruel and super manipulative, in my opinion. It shows more of their true colors than the first two. And this is when we could have discarded them at first, right? There's an opportunity for us to always leave first, but we chose to stay. And this is after they've possibly already discarded us, could have been multiple times, and we continue to chase them and beg for the mask to be placed back on because that is who we fell in love with. That's who we still catch glimpses of when we say, that's why I fell in love with them. That 30 seconds from the whole last two weeks, that's the man I fell in love with. And that man just really doesn't exist. It's a losing battle, by the way. Now what? They won't fully leave us, right? They keep hoovering us back in, or sometimes we hoover ourselves back in, yet they treat us horribly. And we keep going back. So they make it so bad, so excruciatingly painful to be with them as if what was previously mentioned wasn't bad enough that we discard ourselves, even though we still want them because our trauma bond is still so strong, but we simply can't handle the immense amount of rejection and pain they continue to inflict upon us day after day. This is the reverse discard. So it's not so much of a choice of us leaving on our own terms, it's them pushing us to leave them. So using that same example one more time, they've taken us to that all-day spa. We feel like a million bucks, love bombing. On the way to the car, they slam our hand in the car door. We're in throbbing pain. And we're driving either in silence all the way home or having a reckless episode as you're asking what you did wrong and how you can make it better, the devalue and cognitive dissonance. But before you get to think too much, they pull the car over. Take your cell phone, take your shoes, tell you to get out and walk the remaining two miles home. They wait for us in the driveway. They tell us we took way too long to walk home. They tell us our feet are ugly. 
because they're all covered in dirt and scabbed and probably bleeding now. They're mocking us for crying that we're in pain. And as soon as we walk up to them for an ounce of comfort, all dehydrated and tired and sweaty, they tell us they've been cheating on us the whole time and they don't love us. Perhaps even add in a physical assault. We have now reached our rock bottom where we literally have no choice but to walk away and discard ourselves. That is the reverse discard. Because in that moment, they can say, they left me. I did all of these things, but you left me. So there it is. They get to leave with a clean conscience, if you will. So which ones have you experienced? Regardless of which one has actually happened to you, and it could have been plenty of them from different abusers in the past until you recognized what kind of patterns you have been attracted to, the withdrawal from the trauma bond or the realization of the cognitive dissonance that the person behind the mask wasn't who we initially met is still there. And we still struggle immensely, especially if we haven't been exposed to this type of malicious, insidious behavior before. You discarding them definitely gives you an upper hand of feeling in control, if you will. But whichever way the cookie crumbles, your heart was still broken and emotional damage was still caused. Now, when does the discard happen? The actual time frame is different for every situation, of course. However, the pattern is the same. And that's what we want to exploit in this podcast recognizing the patterns. Now, I've watched a lot of Ben and Lee's videos, Raw Motivations and Mental Healness on Instagram, to know that when the flip actually switches in their brain for the abuser or the narcissist, it's different for every single one. And there's no real rhyme or reason to what causes it. It can happen a month into the love bombing after they think they have you as a supply, right? Their fangs are in you and they move on to their next target to love bomb. It can happen if you send them a picture of yourself in natural light with no makeup on, a good morning picture, being the authentically beautiful you that you are. And that perfect image they once saw you in has been tainted. It can happen after you say one thing that shows you see that they're imperfect and are also accepting of their imperfections like a normal human being. They don't want to be tolerated. They want to be adored. Now, to me, and I know this is an unpopular opinion, it's not so much they feel entitled to receiving adoration. I believe as soon as someone sees their flaws and points it out, whether in a joking way or in an endearing way, like, I love how you handled that situation. Wow, my ex would have exploded. I could sense you getting irritated, but you kept your cool. So thank you. All they heard was, I saw you get irritated. And now you see a side of their real self slipping through that they tried to hide. They think they've been exposed already. This is when their inner childhood wound is deeply triggered. Then they start counting down the days until you leave or abandon them due to those behaviors or responses that you noticed. So rather than stick around to find out and validate those triggered feelings, their avoidant slash disassociation attachment style pops up. They have made the decision to begin emotionally withdrawing from you, no matter how great you are. And you're amazing. And they try to find someone else who sees them as perfect just so that person doesn't leave. Quick soapbox for another unpopular opinion. I don't think the majority, of course, there's always a few bad apples that ruin it for everyone else, but the majority of abusers or narcissists don't truly mean to cause you pain. They haven't fully handled their traumatic past. They're still bleeding wounds and they haven't accepted the lessons to be learned from their abusive caregivers. They haven't fully understood that it wasn't their fault. Now let's go to Goodwill Hunting where Robin Williams keeps telling Will, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. I even have a reel about that because it just hits home every time. 
How can you think it's not though, when every single person besides maybe one or two ride or dies have left you and proven that to be true. This is why the discard hurts us so badly as survivors, because we want to show them that we are also the ride or die type. We want to prove our loyalty, our commitment, our unconditional love, and think if we just loved them enough, if they just could see 20 years into the future that we'll still be here, then they would treat us differently today instead of projecting their pain onto us and placing limited beliefs on our character. I also feel they don't feel deserving of what we have to offer. They want it. In fact, they crave it. That's why they chose us. They want someone who will put up with their shit. Now, I use this phrase because one of my exes asked my dad what his secret to a long marriage with my mom was. And they're going on 49 years now at this point. My dad's response was, quote, find someone who's willing to put up with your shit. Now, if you all know my dad, you know he is a covert narcissist. My ex laughed and I sat there in disbelief that he would even say that, let alone say that about my mom, essentially, as well as what he was saying, say that about himself, say that to my ex about himself, and then ultimately say that that's something that me, his daughter, would ultimately be doing. 100% all around bullshit red flag answer. Now, this is where we as survivors need to remember that while we can, we are capable We have the capacity, do you hear me, to love these individuals. We do not have to. And we weren't meant to accept breadcrumbs of love, attention, or affection. Now, if they're willing to attend therapy to work on themselves for 10 plus years, us included, I don't ever want to say that they only need to be the ones to work on themselves because we are a team. We're a unit. They have traumatic histories. We probably do too. We're still healing. They're still healing. We need to learn how to love them through their healing. They need to learn to love us through our healing. It should be this reciprocity of effort, of love, and time and attention towards the other person to build together to have a better life. Because we are a team, we would be more willing and tolerant to have a lasting relationship with them as they unlearn abusive behaviors and learn to truly love themselves the way we love them see themselves the way that we see them. However, that's not normally the case. And the self-aware narcissist on Instagram can attest to that as to eliminate that dangling carrot of hope that your abuser or narcissist will be any different. Actions speak louder than words every single time. Consistent action, by the way, not two days, not two weeks of showing, well, I tried it and we're not two months. Wherever you're at in the discard stage or process, please understand it had nothing to do with you. The new supply also isn't any better than you. They're just as amazing. And the same will happen to them as long as they don't remove their rose-colored glasses. And this is where, if we want to move forward with our lives, we need to keep control of ourselves through this process. And we can do that by deleting the pictures, deleting the voicemails, the screenshots, blocking or deleting their number, and blocking them on social media. Once discarded, they've shown their true colors. Whether we've discarded them or they've discarded us, the mask has been fully removed. And we need to remind ourselves that we deserve all the love in the world that we are also willing to give, which is quite a lot. Now, when you begin to reminisce, minimize their poor behaviors and gaslight or hoover yourself even, you're telling yourself, I deserve that treatment, that I'd rather receive breadcrumbs than nothing at all baby, you deserve the entire bakery. And the more time you spend focused on those breadcrumbs, you will lose sight or even walk right past a potential bakery who is waiting for you, just for you. 
Now, I know this isn't a super long podcast today, but the discard can be quick and painful. It can also be dragged out until we decide to leave. It's what shakes us to our core. The next solo podcast will be about the hoovering and withdrawal post-discard, and that's going to be a doozy because this is where the abusive cycle either makes or breaks, right? We either choose to move forward or we choose to stop. They've discarded us. We've discarded them. We've made that decision, but it could be two, three months down the road that we rehoover ourselves. So we'll go down that one next time. In fact, the next two episodes will be a two-part series with Dr. Carrie McAvoy about cognitive dissonance. So stay tuned for those. It was such an insightful and incredible interview and conversation. I'm going to have her on as a regular. So let's shift to some intentional recommendations. This includes the book I just finished reading titled The Art of Letting Go by Rania or Rania Nayam. Rania Nayam. Some takeaway quotes from that, which really hit home, includes, quote, it's hard to let go, but sometimes it's harder to be unhappy. I think we can all relate to that who have been able to move on or who are currently in it and are unhappy. The next quote says, your indifference taught me that I cannot be indifferent to my own needs. The third quote I took from there said, the more you walk beside grief instead of running from it, the more you heal. And lastly, the last quote I got from this book, which really, it's kind of long, so bear with me, but I really loved it. It said, even if it wasn't your fault, it's your problem. And you get to choose what you do in the aftermath. You have every right to rage and rant and hate every iota of someone's being, but you also have the right to choose to be at peace. To thank them is to forgive them. And to forgive them is to choose to realize that the other side of resentment is wisdom. To find wisdom in pain is to realize that the people who become supernovas are the ones who acknowledge their pain and then channel it into something better. Now, the last chapter of that book, they provide about 20 quotes just from random people. I mean, like Taylor Swift, all the people are on there. And there were three quotes that really stuck with me the most. The first one by L.J. Venier said, let go of the attachment, keep the lesson. One by Suzanne Colasanti says, she's not going to let go until she sees for herself there's nothing left to hold on to. That's what gets us in trouble sometimes, that we want to cling on to that dangling carrot, that strand of hope, as opposed to actually seeing them without their mask on and seeing them for who they are. That's the cognitive dissonance. We drain our cup before we let go and we need to get to not do that. We deserve to be able to walk away with our cup still full and being who we are instead of completely losing ourselves. The last quote that I liked from that book was by Daphne Rose Kingma, and it says, Holding on is believing that there's only a past. Letting go is knowing there's a future. <sighs> that one hit. Now, some songs, you know, I like my songs. Some songs that I chose for the discard phase Jar of Hearts by Christina Perry. And here's a couple different ones that maybe not too many people know. So I like to put in some off-kilter songs. There's one by Tequa, T-E-Q-K-O-I, Tequa, and Snow called I'm Not Enough and I'm Sorry. And that's sometimes how we feel. Like this would be a song that we would be singing to them when they start the devalue and they've discarded us and we're at that low. So this is us being at the low. I'm not enough and I'm sorry. And those are the irrational thoughts we're feeling. There's also... A song called Without Me by Fame on Fire. I listened to that by Fame on Fire from the narcissist perspective. Now, Halsey has a stripped version of that song 
which I like to think of it from the survivor standpoint. So listen to that song. They're both explicit, just in case you have kids in the car with you. But Without Me by Fame on Fire is from the narcissistic view. And then Halsey Stripped Fusion, I would say, is from the survivor view. Now, I wanted to include this because there are a couple songs. From a narcissistic perspective, there are some songs that I think of when I think of this discard phase. When they're going through, oh my gosh, this person saw me, I need to get rid of them. They're going to leave me, so I'm just going to leave them first. Or I'm going to make it so bad that they regret ever being with me. There's a song called At My Worst by Black Bear. Such a good one. I mean, all these songs, I'm sorry, I cry when I hear them because every time I hear them, I think of them from their perspective and I think of their pain that they go through. And I just couldn't imagine living that way. Another song from the narcissist perspective would be Monsters by All Time Low featuring Demi Lovato and Black Bear. There's another song called Love Is Gone, the acoustic version by Slander and Dylan Matthew. And then What I Put You Through by Connor Maynard. These are my intentional recommendations for today. We've completely gone over the discard phase. I'm so sorry if you have experienced any of this. And I hope to see you on the other side. Feel free to DM me. You can find me on Instagram. You can email me. And I'm here to help validate your experience and let you know that there is light at the end of this tunnel. Hey, thanks for listening. Don't forget to leave me a review and you can find me on Instagram at my.healing.village or shoot me an email at myvillageofhealing at gmail.com. See you next week.